Welcome back to the Sports Car Grinders show here at Roto Grinders. I'm Dean, your host once again. Joined today, it's an intimate show. It's just three of us. Three of us today talking sports cards. Of course, you guys know this, the, the site here on YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com, that's you guys are watching this. Hey, feel free to like and subscribe. Talk to us in the comment section. We much appreciate that. Tell us what you want us to hear, what you want to hear uh, on future shows. Um, yeah, so, hey, we normally talk about daily fantasy sports here at Roto Grinders. We do branch out and talk about sports cards as well. Uh, batting first, joining the show, leading off, it's uh, Simon. What's going on, dude, Simon? How are how are things in your world? Good, man, good. We got a lot of uh, cards to show off today. Just kind of taking a look at what some of our previous recommendations have been doing and then taking a look at the general state of some of these NBA cards and, and whatnot. So it should be, uh, should be a pretty interesting show. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a brand new card that's going to be out there on the NFL Mosaic. We're also talking about the basketball you know, we're winding down, obviously, in the bubble currently as we're recording this. It's, uh, we're down the four teams, and I think the Lakers and uh, Denver are playing tonight. This is a Tuesday evening, so depending on where you guys are. When you guys are listening to it, it might be 2-1. It might be 3-0. Who knows what's going on as far as that series. But we'll be talking about the NBA bubble. And, of course, the NFL is underway. Week two is in the books. We talk about some players that, uh, you know, that we recommended in the past and see how that's, that's working out for us. And we have an eye on some injuries. And maybe a couple of players that maybe have our, our eye on as far as uh, – projecting going forward as far as getting a jump in the sports card market. That said, Brennan, uh, what's going on, dude? How are, uh, how are things in your world? Everything all good? Yep, everything's good. We're just taking it day by day. And, man, it just seems like the market is is evolving in front of our eyes. So it's uh, it's an interesting time to be a fan of both sports cards and sports in general. All right, Brennan. Uh, first topic, you know, we teased. We're talking about some basketball, talk about some football. Before we do that, let's talk about the grading company, Brennan, uh, PSA. Alleged, now, this is your uh, observation. You, uh, yep. This is not officially like they didn't send it, go to the AP and send this out there. But from what you can tell, and tell us why, your opinion on this, you think that their grading system uh, is tightening a little bit. Uh, and what does that mean going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I like to do throughout the day, if, if I can have something up on the background uh, on the TV, is look at uh, people reviewing their PSA submissions. And, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One, I want to see what's hot. So like, what are people submitting? Are people submitting mosaic or are people still sticking to their guns with things like prism and select and optic? Um, but a, a side effect of all of this, which I've started to learn is you get a feel for how the grades are doing. Now, obviously some people like to submit just anything and other people are very strict with what they do, but I've seen several people on uh, YouTube revealing their submissions that, they, they are seeing their gem rates, which is what percent of your total cards come back tens. They're seeing their gem rates decline pretty significantly. And one person has submitted over, uh, I think, a thousand cards. And he has said early on he was getting gem rates around 50, 60 percent. And, and now it's down to around 30 or 40. So these are pretty significant changes if they're true. And I think if you think about it from uh, a, a PSA perspective, they're catching a lot of heat for the Luka Doncic PSA 10 pop count, which is, I believe, up over 14,000 now or close to it. And there's only about 22,000 total cards graded. So you're looking at a gem rate on modern cards of potentially 60% or more, which kind of un devalues a 10. And so what I'm seeing anecdotally, again, we can't prove this, and maybe it'd be interesting to put together a more serious analysis is that PSA is tightening, tightening their standards and they're giving a lot more nines where they might have in the past uh, been grading them out as tens. 
So I assume that means that tens now would increase value. And we were talking about this pre-show. I was asking the question. I was curious if there is like a, a, a stamp, like a date that tells you when the car was graded because in my brain, when you suggest that, and of course, like you're saying, they're not coming out and telling us, hey, we're now being more strict, but maybe the market can understand that a PSA you know, 10 three years ago may be different than a PSA 10 today. Uh, maybe the one from three years ago uh, would be, the, the cost would be different. Maybe, who knows? I was just kind of throwing that idea out there, out there, but that's not even a thing. That's not something anybody's sort of like trying to figure out. So uh, does this increase the values of 10s if they're you know, going to be uh, going down as far as the population? Yeah, I think for some of the modern stuff, especially from 2018 and 2017, the the impact to the value of the 10 is going to be slow because what you're going to see is the supply of nines is going to be increasing much faster uh, than it was in the past. And the tens is going to be east, increasing at much of a slower rate. But when you're already starting at pop counts, like for a Luca at 13,000, and I believe four or 5,000 for the PSA nines, you're not going to see a huge jump overnight, especially with just the volatility as it is from performance. It's going to be kind of hidden in all the other movements in the, in the market. Long term, I think this means a couple of things. I think that uh, people are going to be less enthusiastic to get everything graded. If it's got a dinged corner or a small imperfection or it's slightly off center, if you feel like your chances of getting a 10 or less, you might actually choose not to uh, – not to submit that card to begin with. And so potentially overall the pop counts could be lower. And I think we might look back two, three, four years from now and future sets, the PSA tens are going to be uh, higher value than relative to PSA nines, which right now the modern ratio is, is PSA tens are about three times a PSA nine. I think that number for the cards that are already out are going to slowly creep up towards four, I'd imagine over the next several months or, or maybe a couple of years. But I think future sets, tens, if this is true, are going to be more rare and probably be trading at four or five times uh, the value of a nine. And I think that could mean, you know, we've got to be a little bit more careful about what we submit because uh, nines are sometimes very close to raws and value. So you might be drawing dead or, or breaking even and not having possession of that card for a long time. Um, but I think over the long term, we're going to look back, and this is a great decision by PSA, because I think 10s should be rare, uh, at least more rare than 9s. So, yeah, and you were talking about this pre-show as well, too. There's no 9.5, which I was surprised to learn. I was not aware of that. Uh, and then you're, you're talking about that maybe they'll move to a 9.5 system, but also and that might be too late. You know, <laughs> it's probably too late at this point. We shall see. But what about if, I'm a, if I believe your, your premise to be true and I want my car graded and I think it might be on the bubble? Why not send it to a different grading company? Well, so the biggest reason to dissuade you from SGC is their resale values, even at similar grades, is not close to PSA right now. So if you were to get an SGC 10, uh, that will sell on the resale market for about 50 to 60% of a PSA 10. Okay. Uh, so, so the problem is the resale on SGC just isn't there right now. It might catch up in the future. Uh, but it's just not there yet. The market has kind of spoken that PSA is the, the, big, the big thing. Now, BGS is interesting because a 10 looks a lot better on a label than a 9.5, and 9.5 is, is an option at BGS. So a lot of times when they're on the fence, they'll give you a, a 9.5. I'd be interested to see, and I haven't looked at pricing for BGS versus PSA and if that's a big deal, but if this is true and 10s are harder to get at PSA – BGS might be an option, a very savvy option, because a 9.5, uh, 
in theory is, is going to be just as good as a PSA 10 if you're going to get it at a higher rate. So if I send 100 cards to PGS and I get a 9.5 or better on 50% of them, that's probably better than sending those same 100 cards to PSA and getting 10 on 30%. So it would be interesting to see if BGS now reaps some benefits from this. I just don't see the resale there for SGC to, to, even, to even justify sending them in there just yet. All right, Simon, a uh, lot to digest here. Uh, first of all, do you buy into, do you believe uh, that Brennan's uh, premise, does this theory hold some water? And if true, what are you doing with that information? Um, I think it makes a lot of sense if it is true, just because of the amount of demand that has increased for these grading companies and people, everybody sends their cards in now. Everybody sends these huge loads of cards into these grading companies. And so they're fi suddenly finding themselves with a huge sample size, whereas in the past, they didn't have as many cards to judge. So I think in addition to wanting to increase the, the value of their, of their 10 grades, um, they've also had a lot more cards to look at and to compare, uh, compare with. So I think naturally they can, you know, develop higher standards for what they're giving these, these tens to just, just based on the volume that they're looking at. And, you know, whereas something that might've been slightly flawed would have passed as a 10 in the past maybe now that the volume is, is up so much, they don't need to give that flawed card a 10 anymore. So that's also weeding out a lot of the cards that aren't getting 10s these days, whereas they might've in the past. So it makes a lot of sense to me just based on volume alone that they must be getting right now. Brennan, is it out there? Is it known that they tell you like, these are the 10 things we look for and it's graded on a certain scale and it's like a, an average, you know, uh, well, now it's a nine, no, it's a 9.6. We ran up to a 10. How do they come up with these numbers? Is it known out there? Do they put it out there? How they exactly grade everything? So BGS actually does give you subgrades if you pay for that service, uh, which I actually prefer. I think that's a really nice feature because you can tell based on the four things they grade, which are corners, surface, edges, and centering, you can tell what was off and what wasn't. And so it'll actually give you a subgrade on each of those. Uh, and then an overall grade. So you could have a mix of nines and tens and, and have it come out to be a 9.5. Uh, so that's really nice. BGS will tell you what exactly cost, uh, you know, what exactly made up that overall grade. PSA does not do that. And, and as far as I know, you can't find that out even if you look it up on their site. Uh, so that's just another example of why BGS might actually uh, be able to take over some, some traction here if these things hold true. Because I, I agree with you in the sense that I'd love to know why exactly my card got what it got. And in fact, I've been, you know, I've been saying offline, I don't think I've ever covered it on the show. I'd love for one of these companies to just come out with a report. So they send you a one page report about what exactly they saw on the card and why it got the grade it did. I think that would improve the integrity. It would improve the, the trustability of these sites. And BGS is already kind of doing that with the four grade subgrades they give you. Uh, but as far as PSA is concerned, they have said that they're willing to go 60, uh, 40 on the centering. So they're a little bit more lenient on the centering. But outside that, we don't really know what they, you know, what they would grade a nine corner versus a nine and a half corner or a 10 corner um, and, and so on and so forth with edges and surface. So it's kind of, it, it's kind of a mystery. And some people think if you catch the wrong person on the wrong day, you're going to get a different grade <laughs> than if you catch them on a good day. So that's also not a good thing. 
but I, I want to give PSA and the rest of the companies the benefit of the doubt here. They're also forced to, to become more mature as the, the market has kind of exploded. And so not only are they dealing with increased volumes, they're dealing with increased scrutiny. And so rather than uh, focus on kind of some things that have happened in the past or some shortcomings now, I think we got to focus on how they adapt. And the one that adapts the best, I think, is going to be in a really good position if the growth keeps up over the next few years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's important to remember it's not a robot that's grading your car. It's a real-life person. And, like, yeah, they have feelings, and who knows what they're doing <laughs> that day. And some might be a little more strength than others. Who knows? I mean, obviously, they have their guidelines, but and there's no way of, you know, directing it to a certain specific person. It's kind of interesting. And you mentioned about, you know, the modern cards, and you mentioned the Luca card, all these cards that are 10s. Like, you know, it's 2020. We can make cards. and like Obviously, cards from the 80s and the 90s, uh, they get beat up over the years and things like that. So it's understandable those cards are not going to be 10s, at least the large majority of them. But, you know, we have the technology to make a, a pretty looking card and, like, they get out the blotches and, like, you have it centered and all that. Is I mean, is that somehow sort of factored in? And my other, my other question was, would the companies, I guess they wouldn't come out and admit this, but they could manipulate it and intentionally make cards that aren't tens. Like, is that something that like intense? Because, you know, I don't think you'd want to do that, but maybe make the, the tens more desirable. Is that something that people have talked about? Do you understand? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, it, there has been speculation that the companies might try to, to turn down the knob on the QC to allow some nines and eights through. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that being said, uh, like, I still think that, a big part of it, like you said, is that modern car, there's just better printing technology. So of course the gem rates are going to be higher there. A lot of them are getting put into sleeves and top loaders right after they're pulled out of a pack where in the past you might've had a shoebox full of some old eighties and nineties cards. So that's absolutely part of it. And I do think we should expect that modern cards will grade out better. Just, just the way the hobby is, is trained now to protect the value and the, and the technology is up. So I think it's, it's on, it's on the grading companies to figure out if they need two separate scales. Um, Cause you'll see some PSA eights and PSA sevens of vintage cards that like probably you wouldn't even touch if they were a modern card. Um, and so it, it's gotta be a tough dance for them to try to grade everything on one scale. It almost sounds like they might need different scales or, you know, maybe the companies should be, you know, QCing some of it. But then again, Panini and Tops and, and all of them, they're not really focused on the grading side of it. I mean, obviously that's good for them because it creates buzz in the, um, in the industry, but they're really focused on making sure they have enough product out, but not too much. And that the products that they're releasing are likable because they make all their money up front. It's not like I got to send money back to, to Panini or Tops if I get a 10, right? So, um, you know, once it leaves the shop at PSA or uh, Panini and Tops, I'm sure they probably care a lot less than what they're actually printing out. Um, but, you know, could they, could they maybe decrease the quality to increase uh, speed? That's absolutely the case. And, and they might be okay with that uh, given the way the grading economy is working. When you're looking to buy a card, uh, how much do you prioritize? And of course, everything's relative. The price is sort of baked into, and if the card is raw, it's probably gonna be cheaper as well. But um, BGS, PSA, how much do you, how much does it have to be a certain grading system or it's all based upon what the price is? Uh, a lot of it's personal preference. I, I almost never go SGC, although I, I almost find it interesting if it's the same card, just in a different case, maybe that's a, a long-term opportunity in the market, right? It's, you know, if you're buying, I don't think SGC grades easier than the, either of the companies. In fact, they have a 9.5 to fall back on. So I kind of feel like a 10 is probably a 10 there. 
So I think long-term SGC might be an interesting arbitrage just because worst case scenario, you crack it open and probably get a very high percentage at PSA if you resubmit those cards. That being said, for short-term flips, uh, I almost exclusively stay in PSA. PSA is much more popular for modern cards than it is for uh, BGS. And so when people look to uh, to kind of quote their card or get a price uh, target, they're using PSA. And so you kind of want to be in that infrastructure if you're buying things low and trying to sell them high. The more someone has to work to try to correlate uh, a BGS to a PSA, they're probably just going to go with the safety and the clarity of a PSA. Now, for cards in my PC, I actually... I actually am starting to pick up more BGS. And the reason why is because I love those subgrades. I'm seeing some tens where it's clearly off center where there's a dinged corner. And while it's okay to be slightly flawed and still get a 10, if if BGS tells me, okay, well, the centering's a 10, the corner's a nine and everything else is 9.5s, at least I know why that card got that grade. And I think it's a higher higher class uh, case. I actually think the BGS case, it's a little bit thicker, but it kind of looks fancier. So if I'm putting something on a shelf, I think the BGS actually looks better. So uh, obviously if I can get, uh, if I can get the same card for a discount going PSA or BGS, I'll go with the cheaper card. Um, but uh, you know, there is pros and cons to both for liquidity sake. I think PSA is, is the clear choice for right now. Simon, you have a thought on that? Yeah. I mean, Dean, I know, as an old school investor, old school uh, card collector, you like having them in your hand and feeling the difference between them. You can definitely feel the difference between a PSA and a BGS uh, case for sure. And I'm I'm with Brennan on the on the four subgrades too. I like looking for those that have you know maybe a couple tens or or whatever on the subgrades, but are selling for the same price that maybe all four like three nine point fives and a nine might sell for. So you can you can tell which ones are a higher quality card just based on those subgrades, and you can try to target those when you're when you're looking for good values. All right, Simon, your final thoughts as far as this conversation? Um, no, I I I'm with uh, Brennan. I think I wouldn't be surprised if PSA was increasing the standards on these grading, and I I think it's a good thing because there's a huge volume going into the market right now for for cards getting graded and whatnot and like we were talking about like the 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 hobby itself is exploding so anything that they can do to increase the scarcity of certain cards to help out the value and help out people who are who are looking to buy the graded cards on ebay or or com c or star stock or whatever it's 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 better in general for the market like we don't want overprinting we don't want uh, too many tens on the on the market. We don't want that stuff. So anything that they can do to increase scarcity is a good thing in my mind. All right, Brandon, put a bow on this. And like, assuming your premise is true, how how do I best use that uh, to my advantage? Yeah. So I think for us to use it, it to our advantage, um, I, I think we definitely have to to focus on tens moving forward if it's in our our price range because we're seeing this with vintage cards. Uh, tens are just more valuable than nines, actually more so than the the 3x multiplier. So if you're looking to buy a Jordan or some of these older vintage cards, the t- a cream of Dual Jabbar, those tens are a lot harder to get than nines, and, and therefore they're priced accordingly. So I think going forward, um, we need to focus on tens if it fits our budget. 
Uh, and, and the market movers tool is great for that because you can actually look at the ratios and uh, I'm going to be tracking those closely over time. And if we start to see tens slowly creep up past three, more consistently closer to four, um, I, I think that's data that we have to use. I think more importantly, because the market is relatively efficient in sports cards. So the market will price in these things pretty quickly. Uh, I think more importantly, we can't just send in everything now. Um, if, if our percentage chance of getting a 10 is coming down 10, 15, 20%, that's inherently going to impact your ROI. And in fact, it could also drive raw prices down because you have to think that a raw card is valued based on the percentage, what the value of the 10 and the nine is if you're going to get it graded. And so if there's a lower chance at the higher valuation, the raw prices are going to come down as well. So I think uh, being careful about holding raw right now, because the prices could go down. Um, and also just being careful about what you send. If you can flip something short term for a small profit raw, that's probably safer than sending it into a PSA or one of these other grading companies that might be tightening up uh, their standards. And then lastly, one thing I didn't think about before the call, but you've got me thinking, maybe we need to start looking at the BGS market and how it stacks up to, to PSA. Cause if, you know, if the percentage chance of getting a 10 is coming down, but my chances of getting a BGS 9.5 are the same, that would mean that the BGS 9.5 is going to, to BGS is going to be a more viable option for cards that are on the fence. If I think I have a gen mint, I'm still sending it into PSA because the 10 value should be going up. But if I'm on the fence of a card, maybe I set it in a BGS pile or flip it raw for a smaller profit. You uh, you mentioned the market mover tool. We're going to be showing that off later on in the show. And you guys, uh, you're going to watch it. Say, how do I get how do I get a hold of this? How do I use this for myself? Uh, you go to sportscardinvestor.com, SCI. Uh, you get 20% off your first payment uh, at SCI using the promo code GRINDERS, G-R-I-N-D-E-R-S. Uh, Simon's going to be showing that off a little bit later on in the show. And we're talking about some uh, – football and basketball players specifically. Before we talk about that, Simon, there's another, there's a brand new set out there. NFL Mosaic has popped up, and I believe you're going to be screen sharing this one as well. The cards look beautiful, do they not? Yeah, so it's supposed to come out this week, I believe. It, um, it, it, it's been kind of weird with these release dates lately. You expect them to be there one week, and then they don't end up in the stores, and you have to wait another week or two before they before they uh show up but like recently these last week or so they've been popping up in in targets in random states so i think they should probably get a wide release this week i'm guessing at target hopefully target and walmart but uh but we'll see how that works out i know the early sightings have been at uh, at target but these these cards are beautiful looking cards I'm doing a screen share right now. Uh, we can take a look at this uh, this Drew Brees card, for instance. This is just a base card, and, and the base cards look nice, too. But uh, Mosaic has been an NBA brand for Panini for the past couple seasons or so. And this past uh, this past season with the Zion and, and Jaw class, it was a pretty successful uh, retail brand this year like there was a lot of demand for the blaster boxes and there was a lot of demand for the cards themselves too like the cards were going on the secondary market and driving the prices of the of the retail um, retail boxes up much higher than they they were selling for originally so it's good to have this in NFL because we haven't had a nice looking NFL card in, in quite a while. So, so there's a lot of 
anticipation for this to hit the shelves. And, and we're looking right now at some of these, some of these cards. You can see some of these inserts, um, this, this montage of Saquon Barkley, very nice looking card. Um, center stage with Lamar Jackson, very nice looking card again. And the autograph cards look really good too. They're not an on-card autograph, unfortunately, but they still are very nice looking cards. So I, I think that this is going to be a popular release when it comes out. We just had 2020 Donruss released uh, last week or the week before, and that was flying off the shelves. The resale value on the blaster boxes and, and the packs and mega boxes and whatnot haven't been that great with Donruss, but it's more of a paper product. It's not one of these higher end cards like Mosaic. So I think Mosaic will do better as far as resale. But in general, the cards that we're, we're looking at here, I think the inserts and the, uh, the, the, the variants and whatever are going to have some, some nice, uh, some nice re resale value, especially on a rookie class like we have this year with Joe Burrow, uh, Tua. We got a bunch of wide receivers. We got a bunch of running backs this season that are just super popular. Here's another card I wanted to show you. Um, this is this is just a beautiful looking card. This is a red DeAndre Hopkins uh, mosaic card. It goes with his his uniform, obviously. Now that he's on Arizona, but this kind of just gives you a look at the quality of this product and and what you can expect uh, to hit the shelves. Hopefully, in the next week or two. So we'll see. Burrow looks legit. I'm not you know I'm not somebody like to make a decision on like one game or two games or whatever, but. Uh, he looks awesome. I don't watch a lot of college football. I'm, I'm an NFL guy. College football, not, not, not so much. I dabble here and there, but I think uh, I think that's a card you're going to want to grab. You mentioned, Simon, uh, the card, the autograph is not on the card. What's up with that? Is that something that they do sometimes? Yeah, sometimes they'll do a – they'll have the player autograph a sticker, and uh, then whoever will stick the sticker onto, onto uh, the card. So it's not – it's not like the player had the card in their hand and they and they signed it personally. It's more they signed a bunch of stickers, sent it into Panini, and then Panini put it on whichever cards they uh, they needed to. Yeah. So you I can see, yeah. I, I yeah, like you can you can tell which cards are the on card cards versus the sticker cards. Uh, as you can see in the screen share right here, we're looking at this Derrick Henry autograph card. When you see you know, just the basic outline of the sticker, you can, you can see it pretty easily yeah. on the card, but um, yeah, if, the, if this was on card, it would look, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that, uh, that, that shaded area there. Brennan, I know you're more of a, an, uh, an NBA guy than an NFL guy, but uh, your thoughts on this general th concept, of course, like they, they, Mosaic has done NBA uh, cards in the past, and I'm sure you have thoughts on those. Uh, and just generally uh, the business expanding, is this good? Is it bad? What are your thoughts? So I, yeah, no, absolutely. So I think in basketball, we're reaching to the point where there might be uh, too many products. And I think anything that has been released really since optic, I believe in 2016, I think is the first year, uh, like anything after that is at risk of being forgotten in the future. If, if the hobby does contract, I think there's, uh, as we saw in 2012, there's only two main, well, three main sets in the hoops, select and prism. And then as we've gone on, we've introduced more and more. And I think the more that you introduce, uh, the more that some will be forgotten in the future. Now, mosaic football, unlike mosaic basketball, I was down on mosaic basketball because we've got about 8,000 8, 8, other products out. 
Um, football is still a relatively uh, young market. And so if it can take hold, it'll fall behind optic prism and select, but it still might land in that four or five area, which I think is, is good for a, a, a hobby that has decent amount of hype around it. When you start getting to be the eighth, ninth, 10th best set, you start to run the risk of relying heavily on a hyped up market. Now I am only, I am typically a basketball guy, but I want to point a couple of things out on this cardboard connection, uh, site that uh, Simon was showing over. It has, it has a great breakout of the product as a, and as an investor. So I probably won't break any of this cause I just don't break wax to begin with. Um, cause I guess I don't like fun. I just <laughs> like money, but uh, you know, if I were, if I were to invest in football and I might, the first thing I'm going to look at is what's hobby only versus what's in retail product. Cause as we know, hobby sells less. There's just less sales volume cause it's not available at Walmart and target and Meyer and anywhere else. And it's got a breakdown of the hobby only parallels. So those are some things that I'd be looking at. Uh, the two that are jumping out to me right now is the no huddle silver, which I guess no huddle is a certain type of hobby box. Uh, so that's hobby only mosaic red and then mosaic peacock. So those are three parallels that I'm going to automatically be looking for because the market might not be quick enough to realize that there's going to be less of those parallels out there than say a camo pink or an orange fluorescent that are available in retail. Cause there's just going to be more retail product that happens in every other sport, every other product. The other thing I noticed in this breakout of the product is rookie variation cards. So I actually just picked up uh, well, I just got back from PSA, a Ja Morant rookie variation uh, for his prism card. And it is about one tenth the population of the base rookie uh, card for John Morant. And so it says here, rookie variation cards are in hobby, no huddle boxes and retail hanger boxes. So if I'm someone that is breaking wax and I want to try to get a base rookie, that's more rare than, than what we're going to see in the, in the market for the bait, the actual, the rare, the actual base, then I'm looking for those rookie variations. It's typically just a different photo of the main base card. So uh, if I were to break into football and maybe I will just to, as a change of pace, I'm probably going to be targeting these hobby only uh, parallels and these rookie variation cards. And I do that with any basketball set as well. I read, I read the breakout that cardboard connection provides and I look for those arbitrage opportunities. Uh, I think this is great for football. I think, like I said, basketball probably has enough product. Um, but if football continues to grow, people are going to be targeting this set because it'll be the first mosaic five years from now, if football's booming and basketball is kind of holding steady, people are going to say, man, I want to go get that Lamar Jackson first mosaic card. I mean, it's going to happen. If football takes off like basketball did, people are going to want the first prism, the first select, the first mosaic. So uh, this could be an interesting time to get into football with a product that I do think looks really fun. It looks like a really good product. There you go. Some good information. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the, well, let's see, Simon. Let's see if we can take some victory laps or say, hey, maybe we were wrong on this thing or that thing. Uh, some NFL players that we were recommending on previous shows uh, to invest in, and you kind of sort of possibly maybe get laughed in when you uh, laughed at when you talk about Mr. Trubisky, but uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, good to do the victory lap or, or not. I'm not really sure where it's at, to be honest. Uh, he's had a, you know, a nice game against Detroit. Uh, Trubisky, how are his cards looking? I know you're going to do a screen share now for the people. Yeah, uh, Trubisky's a name that we've been talking about for a couple months now. A lot of people were buying into Nick Foles as, as being the, the starter, and I never bought into that. Like, I'm a Nick Foles fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm an Eagles fan, and, you know, he won us a Super Bowl. But in general, 
he had a stretch of a few good games and uh, I just did not buy into him being the, the anointed starter in, in Chicago, especially with the draft capital they had in, in Trubisky. And I just didn't see them giving up on Trubisky at this point yet. He had a good season a couple years ago. And then last year uh, he was a complete dud. So I don't, I just didn't see them giving up on him that soon. But as you can see from the charts, Back when we were recommending it, it was probably, you know, probably around 40 bucks or so. Chief was big on it too. Chief and I were uh, uh, talking behind the scenes about it a lot too and, and picking up, scooping some, some Trubisky cards. It sounds ridiculous, I know, but it's like uh, I just did not see him not going into the season as the starter. And so it was like kind of an easy, uh, easy guy to pick up. But we were buying it for about – under 50 bucks at the time talking about the optic hollow PSA 10. And as you can see from this chart, the most recent sales were going for around 149. So that's a, that's a nice, nice triple on, on that card price. So I think I'm, I, I have one. I, I think I'm going to flip it and, uh, and just, and just take my running, my money and run because at this point now, <laughs> <laughs> at this point now, I think we've seen, maybe a potential a potential ceiling for him. So I don't know if he can continue winning these games. And at this point I've, I've made enough of a profit where I don't need to take that. Uh, I don't need to wait and see. Yeah, of course uh, you're showing off the market reverse tool. We kind of referenced before, if you guys want access to it, get yourself 20% off your first payment at sportscardinvestor.com by using the promo code grinders, G R I N D E R S. Uh, and I said, Trubisky was good. That was great. Again, the Trubisky scale, like he was perfectly fine. I guess and a good box score, at least the first game against Detroit. And uh, hey, they're two and zero, oh, and I, I, yeah, why not? You know, triple your money and get out and move on. Yeah. Uh, well, yep. talk to me about the Dak Prescott who had a, you know, he had three rushing touchdowns this last week. It was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> that whole game was ridiculous. They beat Atlanta. Atlanta's just had suspension for giving up twenty-five point leads, uh, not understanding how onside kicks work. Uh, Dallas, I think, won that game forty to thirty-nine. Something egregious. It was a high score. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you were on Dak, of course, at the end of the year. Where is Dak at right now? And I don't know if the card market reflects what happened on Sunday. It's probably still a little early for that. But uh, how are we looking as far as Prescott? Uh, I, I'd just like to add to that uh, that market movers plug. I would recommend signing up for the annual uh, subscription. You're getting 20% off an entire year versus if you only did one month, you get 20% off a month because that's 20% off your first payment on any subscription. So I definitely recommend doing the annual for that and make sure you're doing market movers because market movers is the actual subscription where you're going to get access to all these, all these tools and charts and stuff. If you just do a regular subscription, it's, it's, you're getting articles. Uh, but if you do market movers, you're getting the articles and you're getting all these great tools that you can use to, uh, to, to hunt down these cards. Uh, Dak Prescott, we're looking at his 2016 Prism Silver PSA 10. Um, this particular year of Prism, there was uh, Silver was the base too, so so there isn't a base card. There's only the only the Silver uh, variation for some of these rookies. But looking at this chart, it looks like he was going straight up. He was up to 1425. We recommended it originally when it was around three, uh, 325, 350. So it's made a nice run up to 1425. I'm still holding on to mine because I think 
It could potentially be a blockbuster year for him. He showed that potential in the second game, rushing for all those touchdowns and pulling out the win at the, at the last minute. It got a little bit hairy there uh, for a minute. I might sell my, my BGS 9.5 just, to, uh, just to, to make my money back on, on all the DAT cards that I bought. But, yeah, I mean, recently it took a little dive. That's probably a result of his, his week, week one loss from the 16th of September down to the uh, 18th of September. It went from that 1425 price point down to about – a thousand, and it's been kind of uh, plateauing there. I wouldn't be surprised if a few days from from now we start to see it creeping back up again. I don't think it's going to jump directly back up to that fourteen hundred point. I think if he wins a few more games, he'll he'll get this uh, this chart looking good again. But uh, for for now, you know, it's a nice profit over what we originally uh, recommended it at for sure. What do you have for me on Deshaun Watson? Zero and two, of course, two really tough games at the gate. Uh, taking on Kansas City, taking on Baltimore, getting the L on both of those. We'll talk about Hopkins in a second. He lost his best receiver, obviously. Fuller uh, did not catch a pass in week two. He was kind of dinged. I think he had a hammy or something like that. He was out there for some snaps, but uh, just whatever reason, uh, I don't know if he was a, a distraction or just trying to give it a go, but resuming 100%. Uh, yeah, so he's 0-2 uh, for Houston. Uh, what do we think of him going forward? What's the card market reflecting as far as the uh, current performance? Yeah, we're looking at his 2017 Prism PSA 10 and his 2017 Optic Hollow PSA 10s. Um, we were buying them. We were recommending the buy when it, the prices were plateauing. The prices had been plateauing from about you know the end of July through uh, through uh, a few weeks ago. Um, most recently, uh, the 12th of September is, is probably where it was on that flat line. Then it started to take a little bit of a dive. I think his, the realization that he doesn't have any weapons and he's had two really tough matchups to start the season, losing to Kansas city and then losing to Baltimore. So I don't think the uh, schedule has favored him as far as his, his card prices and performance go. But don't be surprised if when the schedule eases up a bit and the performances start coming out of him and, and maybe he starts to, to gel. You already saw him starting to gel more with Brandon Cook uh, in this, in this most, most recent game that they played. Uh, Cooks looked really good and was, was, was catching balls from him. And Fuller uh, put up a goose egg, but Fuller's kind of hit or miss in general. So we'll see how things work out with his receivers. He's obviously hurt without having Hopkins on the team, but maybe one of these other uh, receivers can, can, uh, can pull out a good season and, and help the team out. But right now, I think the price is reflecting uh, things dawning on people of, oh, the team does not look very good right now. So hopefully an easier stretch of schedules will, will help that uh, help those prices out. All right. Talk to you about the former Texan, the current uh, Cardinal in Arizona. Now uh, Deandre Hopkins quickly become uh, became Kyler Murray's number, you know favorite target. No surprise there. 22 catches for the first two games, uh, over 219 yards, got in the box as well too. And I believe Arizona is two and zero, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Hopkins, what do you have for me? Yeah, uh, Kyler Murray's looking like a stud, and they gelled instantly with DeAndre Hopkins. That's kind of what we were predicting, uh, just because Hopkins in the past he played with a scrap heap of, of quarterbacks in Houston. <laughs> before he got to Deshaun Watson and the guy's been a stud his, his entire career. 
We're looking at its 2013 Topps Chrome PSA 10 card. I think we were recommending it around this 150 price point or so. Um, it, had, it had been kind of hovering around there for a little while, but now we're looking at a card that's going for about uh, $300 at his most recent sale. And, you know, that's, that's one that, like I said, he instantly had a connection with, with Ky- Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's looking really good. That whole team's looking good. They beat San Francisco in week one, so that was a tough defense that they were able to pull it out. Uh, we kind of projected that, too, because last year – uh, the Cardinals played San Francisco pretty well for the uh, two times that they faced off each other uh, last last season. So it was kind of uh, kind of a foreshadowing that they might have a chance to beat San Francisco in in Week One, and they did that. And then they pulled off another win uh, this past week. And and Hopkins has looked good in both of those games. So it looks like he's going to continue uh, having being a being a being a stud wide receiver for the near future. All right, lastly, as far as the NFL, we'll talk NBA in a second. Uh, Beckham, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, been pretty quiet so far this year. He did score a touchdown on, on national TV that Thursday night game for what it's worth, but wasn't a spectacular game per se. And the season so far, he still has less than 100 yards in two games. Where is uh, the card market reflecting uh, the recent performance of Odell Beckham? Uh, Beckham's another one that we were recommending based on ease of schedule. The schedule's for the Browns is going to be pretty easy this year. And he has a good, uh, he's, he's healthy this year. He hasn't shown yet too good of a connection with Baker, but like in week two, they, they connected on a long touchdown. So it looks like there's, there's signs that they could be uh, getting a good connection between them. So hopefully that, that continues, but it might be a good time to invest in, in Beckham. Now his prices have been kind of all over the place these last a uh, few days or, or a couple weeks or so. And right now they're kind of, uh, they're, they're down a little bit. You're looking at this uh, 2014 Topps Chrome uh, PSA 10 base card. That's going for around $82 right now. At its peak, it was at about 139 but I don't know how many sales that was. That might've been light volume. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a good time to buy because I think the Browns are, are heading into an easy st- stretch of schedules. They had, um, uh, who they play week one? Was it Baltimore? I'm pulling they it up on like the fly a, here. Yeah, Baltimore week one, yeah. Cincinnati week two, Washington, yeah. Dallas, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Cincy, Vegas. Right. So the, so the only tough competition they have in the next few weeks is Pittsburgh. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Beckham just, just – starting to to pick up with with Baker and those two forming a really really good connection over the nice few, next few weeks and 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 see him start to to look like his old form like I said like they're healthy again they got good coaching this year and Baker looked really good uh in in week two as well so it was a good matchup between him and Burrow um they took a they took an early lead and they started going more towards the run game so Baker didn't throw as high a volume as as we would want, but I think if the if if some of these games stay competitive, then they'll have a good shot to uh, to put up some stats. All right, Brandon. Uh, before we dive in and talk about NBA players, uh, I did want to ask uh, sort of the general what the general market's doing because uh, my understanding is NFL cards are generally going up with the NFL season. You know, two weeks in, kind of kicking in. NBA is winding down. The general NBA market is down. Uh, 
what do we do with that information? Confirm that. And what do we do with that? And then we'll talk about some, some players specifically. Yeah. We don't have a great uh, overall market indicator like you would say in the stock market with like an S&P 500 or a Dow Jones. Um, but what we are seeing is the, the, the market is still going down slightly, but at a slower rate. So I think what we're actually seeing in a lot of cases and a lot of the cards we're going to look here at in a second, you can start to see uh, like a bottoming out and it's starting to kind of reverse course. So I have a feeling that uh, like just it, this is with really probably any player it at the very end of their season, you're going to see the dip. And then once it gets to a certain point, people will savvy buyers will start to buy them back up. And so um, the whole market kind of went down because basically everybody before teams was eliminated in the course of a couple of weeks and it kind of drugged the whole market down with it. What you're seeing is the players that are still in the bubble playing are going up, actually trending back the right direction. And people that are out of the bother, out of the, out of the bubble, like Ben Simmons or Trey, young, you're starting to see them kind of bottom out and like stat be stagnant. So the overall market, I think, is still probably trending downwards slightly. That being said, I think the most of the pain that we're going to feel is already past us and we're going to start to see them reverse course, especially as the final ends, as the finals end, and then you start to get news about the draft and potential trades and free agency. And so that's going to get the buzz hype machine going again. And everyone's going to think, man, let me get my cards now to sell them at the beginning of the season. So it's a cyclical thing. We're bottoming out right now. And I think in the next month or so, you're going to really start to see evidence that we're headed in the right direction, barring any major economic, like we have to keep in mind, I know I say this on every show, we've got an election coming up. We've got stimulus arguments going on every day. Like we can't control that. The stock, the, card market can't control any of that. Unfortunately, cards don't put a roof over your head or put food on the table. So as long as the overall economy holds intact, at least for the most part, I think we're going to start to see this bottom out and head back in the other direction because we got a lot of new people, a lot of new people focused on football right now. That focus will shift eventually back into basketball. So I'm pretty optimistic about where we're headed. And I think the worst is behind us for a lot of these cards. By the way, uh, on previous shows, talking about how the target date for the new NBA season was around Christmas. There's no official date, but somebody in the comment section mentioned that Mark Cuban mentioned on a podcast that they threw out the date uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, January 18th. So again, we don't know, but that, that you know, Cuban knows more than I do, and assuming that that's true, uh, maybe uh, it's too optimistic to think that it's going to be around Christmas and. That would be really, really soon, obviously, but, you know, just kind of stay tuned on that. We'll see when the new season comes around. You talk about some guys that are out of the bubble now. Uh, do you want to kind of go through them individually? I'm not sure if we have charts as far as this, but, like, Ben Simmons, and there's a lot of question marks on Simmons. Uh, like, will he be on Philadelphia next year? And, you know, depending on where he lands, is it an up or is it a down? I would assume. Well, we'll see. You you, you tell me. Uh, will, will he be on Philadelphia next year is the first question, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of my favorite uh, conspiracy theories is that Minnesota is putting together a package to trade for Ben Simmons that includes the first overall pick. And the reason why I like it is because I think that's actually a great fit. You've got two guys around him that can shoot relatively well. And D'Angelo Russell playing in Golden State for at least part of last year learned to play off the ball a little bit. So like I, I, I think that he will be on Philadelphia. The reason why I think he'll start the year on Philadelphia is just 
it's just a weird off season as it is. The teams yeah. have like barely even had a chance to to interview prospects and and figure out what they're going to do in the draft to try to also then organize these types of trades in such a weird year with all of the family things they I'm sure they have going on. I just don't think we're going to see any big trades in the off season. Again, I don't have a crystal ball for any of this, um, but I think they're going to run it back. Cause look, I know they had Jimmy Butler last year, but they were almost in the finals. I mean, this concept was working until they traded out Butler for Horford. So if they can make a similar swap out that doesn't involve the two big guys, maybe they try to run it back. Um, but that being said, as far as his market is concerned, uh, we, we had suggested starting to look at him, I think three or four shows ago, he's still coming down. So I bought slightly early and I, and I bought some more after that. Um, but I'm starting to see a lot of his cards kind of bottom out. We're showing on the screen right now has prism silver. It's going to be a tough one to look at from a bottoming out perspective. Cause there's only 129 of them total in the world. For his base cards that have a higher population, you're starting to see them bottom out a little bit more for Prism and for Select. Um, but I love Ben Simmons because he's still young. He's a jump shot away from being a legitimate MVP candidate. And you can't imagine they're just going to try this Philly thing for the next 10 years. Eventually, it might not be next year, eventually he's going to be in a better situation. We've seen stars get into better spots, and I believe he's a star in the league. And so I think Ben Simmons is a medium to long-term buy. Um, but you're seeing, you're getting the same price as you would have gotten early July, uh, which is which is really good news because all of the hype kind of hit when the bubble started. So as I see things kind of drop past their July prices, I really like to start looking at picking them up. And I think now might be a good time to start looking at Ben Simmons. And the market movers is really nice because you can see if there's three or four days where it's held at a similar level. If that's the case, it could still go down in the future. There could be a double drop, but for the most part, if you can drop at pretty significant levels and then hold for three, four days or a week, that means we're probably to the point where it'll start going up at some point, if not just stay stagnant for a little while. Yeah. A couple of things that we've been saying about Simmons for a long time, as far as just being a jump shot away. And like, I know we've seen him do it in like practice and right warmups. So it does not do it in the games for whatever reason. It's so odd. Yeah. I think he's capable of hitting him at a decent percentage, but who knows? The other thing is, like, say I was going to ask, like, hey, maybe it's an interesting idea to invest in Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, if um, you know, bet on the comment, you know, bet on thinking that Simmons is going to be there. But then my, my second thought was Simmons, Cat, Russell, and then a bunch of guys, does that team really compete in the West? The West is really good, and I, I still don't think they get there. Maybe they're, they'll make the playoffs, probably, but they're probably a first-round knockout. I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that Cat, Ben Simmons, and D'Angelo Russell is anything more than maybe a five or a six seed. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems very much like a, the ceiling of a Utah Jazz. You've got like a great wing player and uh, a good big man and then a bunch of other pieces. That being said, I'm a huge fan of Malik Beasley. The guy can scorch it from outside. So if you put Beasley, Russell, and Towns around and Hernan Gomez from Denver, who actually is a decent shooter himself, like you've got like one of those classic really good regular season teams that just kind of fall in the part in the postseason. So if that happens, I'm definitely looking to sell at the, the, the height of the hype from a regular season perspective. I would not take a Minnesota team without another piece or at least some more proven statistics uh, as a potential title favorite. So also like what if Culver is good? Like, I don't, I mean, he might be part of that package for the record. He might be right. the, the guy who yeah. moved out, but what if he's good? Like, I don't know. I'm not ready to say he's not good. I'm not ready to say he's good for sure. Yeah. Like I, 
right now it's not looking great, but it's, he's still like, what, 20 years old, 21 years old. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm trying to think to myself if a team built around uh, Russell, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and some other pieces is worth even a look at Towns. Because I suggested Towns a while back, partly as a play for him getting out of Minnesota at some point. Now, if they put together something reasonable around him, that might not actually help his case, but hurt it more. Because uh, Towns' stats are very similar to Anthony Davis's at this point in his career. So he's a very good player that we just kind of forget about because Minnesota's just been awful. So Towns is an interesting gamble right now. It's definitely speculative. But if Ben Simmons landed there, whether or not we think it's a good idea or not, their prices are going to go up because we're all going to dream about the perfect scenario where now Ben Simmons turns it around and Minnesota becomes the next Denver Nuggets. At least from the start, before the season starts, I would imagine the cards would be going up, right? Just spending on the potential promise or the, you know, just potential in general. Yeah. Uh, talk to you about Trey Young, who's uh, on a bad Atlanta team. They are young. The team's young. I wasn't trying – that just sort of worked out that way. <laughs> uh, you know, in theory, they're going to be getting better. Uh, yeah. I just – I'm not a – I think he's a fun player to have in the league. I just – I think he's a little bit limited. He, he's not a great – he doesn't do anything besides score. Like, he's a good passer, too. He's – a terrible defender, which I don't think he's going to get much better at that. Uh, we'll see. You, you tell me I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're wrong on this. Uh, so okay. f- for one, there's a lot of young pieces there. So you had rookies in Reddish and Hunter, uh, both playing huge minutes, as well as Kevin Herter, who was a sophomore. You also had your, I think the second best player, I think one of the most underrated players in the league, John Collins, was suspended for most of the season. And you're just trying to build – I know they're trying to build something that resembles Golden State. I actually don't think it can happen because I think you kind of undersold, undersold his passing ability. I actually think he's one of the five best passers in the good league. Passer. Yeah, great. I mean, I, I don't even think good. I think he's – like, if you actually look at the stats and watch him on film, he does things like Chris Paul where he'll, like, look away defenders and then put no-look passes right on the money. I mean, it's just insane. You did address the elephant in the room, which he's maybe the worst defender in the league, and that's really hard to cover up. So they're going to have the, – the window to build a team around Trey Young like it was for uh, Steph Curry is, is much, much smaller because Curry, one, is like the greatest shooter of all time, but also a slightly below average defender, not league worst. That being said, I don't think the card market cares about any of that, at least for the first five years of Trey Young's career. They're going to see the 50-point games. They're going to see the logo three-pointers, and they're going to see – I think Atlanta and a soft Eastern conference become one of those mid middle tier teams. And I think that's all you're going to need for, for his cards to, to kind of spike up in value. Um, I, I, I really like Trey young from an offensive perspective. I think he'll go down as one of like, you could probably argue he'll be a top 50 offensive player. That's in the, it's in the cards, maybe even higher. Um, I just, I agree with you. I don't know if he's a championship player unless all of the things fall correctly. That being said, we're seeing him come off his peak a little bit. You can see here on the screen, he was up uh, over 2000 and he's now dropped closer to 1600. And you're seeing similar in his lower cards as well, like his select concourse uh, PSA cards and is also his uh, prism base. So I think now's a good time to pick up Trey young. Uh, Cause he's going to be another guy you target to sell after the hype gets high. Atlanta might start the year hot. He might have a couple of 40, 50 point games and that, as we saw in the bubble, that's going to drive his prices. So Trey, again, is not one of those players that you hold hoping he wins the title. But I think as a long-term hold, um, if you think he'll be the next Steph Curry or as a, a hold to kind of sell as like a Damian Lillard, he gets hot for a week and you sell. I think Trey Young's a great buy now. 
I think the market though just tends to like him. He's like a, a market darling because he hasn't dropped all that much considering he wasn't even in the bubble to play in the first place. So, um, you know, Trey is kind of a high risk, high reward play, um, but I don't see the hype slowing down anytime soon. I, I think we'd have to wait a few more years into his career where we really start to question, you know, is he good enough to actually win? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, obviously he's a lot of fun to root for. Well, seems like a perfectly likable guy. Uh, great, great for highlights. Like you said, uh, as far as players and highlights, he's great for that. And like you said, he will, have, he will have those spike games where he does put up 50 points and just hit like 10 threes, which is a lot of fun. The highlights, who cares if he's getting burned on defense and card collectors don't care about that stuff. Uh, I'm curious how Capella's going to work. They traded for Capella and he's there for several years. I think uh, he never played a game with them because of injury. Uh, maybe some PNR. Uh, we saw it with Harden and Capella all the time back there in Houston. Of course, Capella doesn't really fit the 2020 mold of basketball players because he can't shoot, uh, which is somewhat concerning. But uh, yeah, you mentioned Collins. Collins is one of those big men can step out and shoot as well. He's just been he's been inconsistent. I'm just kind of looking at their roster. I don't. I think Herder's fine. I don't think he's special. Uh, I think Reddish is fine, but he's he's 21. Who knows what Reddish is going to be? Uh, so I don't know where they're going to go. That's what I was speaking to. I don't think it, this current iteration. I don't think it's going to go very far. Uh, for Atlanta. They, they got to change some things around, but maybe I'm wrong. You had some thoughts on that. It sounded like you had some thoughts on that. And then kind of bleed into uh, what your thoughts are on uh, Luka Doncic. Sure. Yeah. So I'll put a bow on the, on the Atlanta thing. Uh, so uh, John Collins is one of my big bets. And uh, I like to look at guys off the court and in interviews to see if they have the requisite mindset to really succeed. And John Collins seems like a really well-spoken, hardworking dude with all of the raw talent. So I agree with you. He's been inconsistent, but with the suspension and some injuries early on in his career, I'm hoping that if, if for a year he can put it together, especially with a guy like Trey Young, that'll make you just a better player in general. I expect a breakout coming for John Collins at some point. I just hope he's not the next Aaron Gordon because Aaron Gordon was a similar way. We just kind of always saw the ceiling and just never got there. Uh, so it's a little bit of a big bet. As far as Capella is concerned, if they're building a Golden State clone, Golden State never ran their centers out there for much. So they'd start them and play them like 20 minutes. So I think you're going to see a lot of that where John Collins will start at the four and then move down for the five for more majority of the game. So, I mean, Capella might be good for 20 minutes and in, in a certain, in, in certain uh, matchups, he might play more, but I think you're going to see a lot of John Collins at the five next year. And I think that's a good thing because he spaces the floor and he's just as good of a, a lob threat. The guy can jump out of the gym. So uh, I'm I'm optimi- I'm cautiously optimistic on the uh, the Hawks for next year, but definitely long term. As far as Luka Doncic is concerned, man, have his cards come down and have, have they come down pretty fast? Um, I was looking at his cards before the show, and and they had actually dropped um, below the pre-bubble uh, numbers. And so I oh, think wow. what I think what we had happened, what had happened with Luka Doncic, is there's because there's so many of his graded cards out there, as soon as someone saw five, six, seven sales lower than what they wanted to get out of when they knew that the end, the finish line was coming, we kind of just, it kind of just snowballed all the way down. And it also didn't help that he was already going up and then hit that buzzer beater, which just drove his crisis up even more. So this is the general, this is the general case of, of, you know, when there's certain momentum behind a stock or an asset that's falling, people start to panic. I I just think this is panic selling because I walked away from his playoffs thinking, okay, I thought he was going to be a certain, certain type of good. And he's just going to be better than that. I mean, I'm convinced he's going to be one of the best five players in the league through his prime 
the entire time. I mean, I, like it would be a surprise to me if he didn't win at least one, if not multiple MVPs, just with, with how, I mean, at his age, how he just looks like the best player on the court for long stretches, despite not being all that athletic, which was the biggest knock. And we also forget how much success he had in the Euro league at such a young age, which I know it's not the NBA, but for an 18 and 19 year old to have that kind of success, it just tells you he's got a certain something about him. So I think this is a good time to load up on, on Luca. I've said for a long time, I don't like his prism cards. His select cards are trading lower and are much lower populations. So right now I'm actually picking up Luca select uh, graded cards because they are falling just like the prisms. And I mean, they are just laughably less from a population perspective. So that's, that's my big buy right now is, is Luca select cards as they continue to fall here. You mentioned Luca and that buzzer beater uh, segues us right into the next player, uh, Anthony Davis and a butter be- buzzer beater beat Denver. And I felt bad a little for Jokic because Jokic had a phenomenal like close in that game, just kept scoring yeah. everything. And that incredible read where he just tipped in the, you know, he tipped in the shot, basically on a rebound, he yeah. ball didn't hit the rim yet. And, you know, it was just an awesome play. And then it's just sort of lost in history because of Anthony Davis banging a three and Mason Plumley doing some weird defense. Couldn't really figure out what, I don't know. There was some confusion yeah, I guess they both wanted to cover LeBron, which kind of speaks to LeBron's greatness because LeBron's really, yeah. really good. You have two guys on LeBron, nobody on Davis. That could be a problem as well, too, because Davis is awesome as well. And if you're going to build around a player for the next five years in the NBA, it's probably Luka or Davis, maybe Tatum, uh, maybe maybe Giannis. Like the, those are probably the guys in the conversation. But mm-hmm. Davis is a really, really good 1B, and he'll, he'll circumvent, uh, he'll jump uh, LeBron soon enough in theory. Uh, yeah. What are Anthony Davis's cards doing? Of course, uh, really, really good shot at winning a title there for uh, for the first time. Yeah, I can't even explain to you what the market sees with these with these Anthony <laughs> Davis cards. So the guy is, I mean, their path continues to get easier to winning a finals. Um, and Anthony Davis, in theory, even after LeBron retires, is going to be the face of that franchise, and they're not going to have any problems getting big names to go play with him. So the fact that his cards peaked up around 3,900 and are now trading at about 2,000, almost a 50% decline for his uh, Prism base PSA 10, it's it's laughable. Now, a couple of things I will say, the run-up from July 28th to about early August was a little bit ridiculous. So it was due to come back, but this is a classic case of just people panicking, right? As soon as we saw the first big drop for him in, in mid to late August, Everyone else appears to have just panicked and sold as well. Uh, I think he's a great buy and a great buy now. If you have the money for his cards, you certainly can go a different route uh, like a hoops. I haven't looked at that card. I assume it's followed a similar trend, which will be cheaper. But like, I just, I don't exactly get why he went down as much as he did. Now I will say this, as you saw on that chart, uh, he started, he hit the bottom and went right back up. Whereas some of these other players are like bottoming out. So I think people are realizing it. And yeah, we have the hoops pulled up here. It's at a much lower price point, under 600 for a PSA 10. And it got all the way up to about 1400 and is now selling at 560. It's, it's unexplainable what exactly is going on because Anthony Davis, in my opinion, has a great chance at winning a title this year, a gr- at least a fair chance at winning multiple titles for the world's most marketable basketball team. And he's already, like, he's not just like a Robert Ory secondary player. I mean, he is a key player to that team and will be for a long time. So um, looking at these hoops cards, it's it's kind of funny that it's where it's at. And I might start looking after the show at picking up some Anthony Davis because it's just, it's just silly that he fell. I can't really explain it other than 
people panicked as soon as they saw it come down a little bit. It just, the bubble burst. This is a classic example of a bubble bursting, but there being a clear avenue to a, a re recovery and a quick recovery. So should I, you got buy... me sold on getting an Anthony Davis. <laughs> there you go. Simon's <laughs> getting excited over there. I, I knew I saw this came out the other day, uh, 15 NBA talent evaluators, including four GMs, six execs and five scouts were asked which player is under 25 they want to build around. So that's the caveat. And number one was Luka Doncic. Number two was Tatum. Uh, number three, Booker. I thought this was kind of weird, kind of scrolling down. Then John Morant. Then Donovan Mitchell. Who haven't I said yet? Then, then Bam out of Bayou. Kind of still scrolling down. And then, finally, Zion. That's kind of weird how quick people turn on Zion. I know it wasn't a great bubble for him. But, uh, I don't know, does that surprise you at all, Brennan? No, I've, I've always been pessimistic, pessimistic on Zion. And, and maybe it's not fair, but I, I just – I guess my thing is there's a lot more risk there than I think a lot of people would recognize. Um, I know that the talent is there for him, but not only do you have injury risks, which, you know, he dealt, he's dealt with some injuries, but I wouldn't say he was like Anthony Davis early in his career, who we all thought was injury prone. And now he's, he's a, one of the best investments you could make. But I, again, I go back to like, and I think we talked about this pre-show. I like to look at guys in interviews and on the court and like, what are their big moments look like? And Zion doesn't have enough of those moments for me where he's just like, a, you know, just a beast on the court and he's looking like he just wants to embarrass whoever's in front of him. I know it looks that way because he's so athletic. But when you look at John Morant step back, hit a three over James Harden and say, I'm here, let him know I'm here or something of the sort, like that's the kind of thing that's going to take you from a great talent to a great player. Zion sometimes won't even rush to help his guys up off the court. He looks, puts his hands on his hips. Maybe it's a conditioning thing. Um, but I just think he's we need to see too, more from Zion. Yeah. He's young, but and he's dealing with a lot of things off the court, as we know. But I just I think I need to see more from him before I uh, anoint him in the top echelon of players. Um, like right now, I think it's Giannis, Tatum, uh, Luca, obviously, and then you could make a case for Mitchell. And then uh, I mean, after that, I would take Jaw over Zion. If I started a team right now, I would take Jaw over Zion and. I'd feel pretty good about it. He feels safer, if nothing else. I would say he feels safer. Maybe Zion's got more upside. Well, where does yeah. Lillard rank for you? I'm curious. Where does where does Lillard rank for you on like the talking smack and like backing it up and just just sort of like the overall body language? He seems like a guy that uh, would, would you know crush that score for you. Oh yeah, I love the I love the the Dame time. I mean, anytime you have like a <laughs> stick like that, bye bye, um, <laughs> yeah, bye bye. Jamal Murray's got the blue arrow. I don't know if he pulled those out on on in the bubble yet or not, uh, but. Like anytime you've got that sort of moxie, I just love it. Uh, the thing is, Damian Lillard continues it onto Twitter afterwards. So like the guy just doesn't turn that mode off, which is good. Um, unfortunately, you got guys like Joe Ingles who are a little bit more subtle about their trash talk, <laughs> but like probably deserve more credit than they get. Uh, yeah, I, lo I love anytime a guy gets hyped like that on the court. And maybe if we start to see that from Zion, I'll feel a little bit differently. But right now, I just think the hype doesn't match what we're realistically looking at at the moment. Simon, I know you had some general thoughts as far as uh, the NFL and the, the the plethora of injuries we saw this weekend with CMC, with Saquon. CMC, I think, is going to be out. Christian McCaffrey is going to be out, what, four to six weeks. Saquon, done for the year, unfortunately. Locks, ding. San Francisco's all beat up. Uh, Cortland Sutton got hurt. Do you have any general thoughts on that and how it might reflect uh, the market? Uh, yeah, we definitely had some significant injuries over the past past weekend, especially with Saquon and and CMC and guys like that going down. 
I would just keep an eye on those card prices because if you believe that they can come back from those injuries and 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 be the be in their old form, and you know you see a significant dip in those card prices, might be a good opportunity to scoop them up. Especially uh, Chris McCaffrey, I would keep a close eye on him. He had a high ankle sprain. We saw Kamara have the same injury last season or a similar injury at least, and and he came back and he just did not look the same for the rest of the season. So if something like that happens with McCaffrey and he comes back and he underperforms for the rest of the year he might try to race back to get on the field like Kamara did last year and not give himself enough time to heal or whatever but those those high ankle sprains are tricky injuries and they usually affect the player for a significant amount of time after they after they return if they're returning after a couple weeks or or three or four weeks or whatever it is so I would not be surprised to see McCaffrey underperform on the season and have his card prices dropping as a, as a result of that. And if you think he can recover uh, for the, the following season, then he'd be a good one to, uh, to look into scooping up. Yeah, you know, I was looking at the, the show sheet today, and I was like, well, today's going to be a short show. And it turns out it wasn't. We went, we went kind of <laughs> long. It just sort of works out that time. Uh, but that, that is the end of the show, of course, before we step aside and get out of here. We do our mail day. Uh, Brennan, you, do, uh, you know, go ahead and tell us what you're showing off as far as your mail day card. And uh, as you're doing that, give us your socials. Tell the people where they can find you out there in the old interwebs. And then, Simon, feel free to follow up after Brennan. Sure. Yeah, speaking of Trey Young, I picked one up myself last week. Um, Again, it's a select because I just think, especially for 2017 on, the population counts just don't justify where the prices are right now. So I'm I'm exclusively select. I've been that way for a long time. Um, You can find me on Twitter at the DFS Advisor as well as Instagram. Uh, and uh, you'll be able to, st- I'm actually going to start using market movers on there uh, to show you guys kind of real time behind the scenes, how I like to look at these charts. Cause I think on Instagram, that'll play very well. I try to stay off of Twitter for the most part nowadays. Cause it's a, uh, it's, it's always dicey when you get in there. So <laughs> for my blood pressure, I stay off of Twitter as much as I can. <laughs> Understood. Simon. Yeah, you can find me at Yeti Boom Films on on Twitter. I'm like Brennan. I try to be as scarce on on Twitter as I as I can be, but I like to check in there for updates on on NFL players and whatever you see. Some of your favorite fantasy analysts talking about talking about these players. That's pretty much what I use it for these days. But I would say. Uh, Follow us more in Discord on RG Discord and the Sports Card Channel. That's probably a better place to get cordial conversations and 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 good behavior. So you can you can jump in there and and ask people about cards. We got Chief, we got Head Chopper, uh, lots of lots of guys that you recognize from from Roto Grinders are in that channel talking about their their sports cards and showing off their mail days and stuff. And for my mail day this week, I have. I mentioned earlier I was able to to find some Donruss 2020 out in the wild, and I had a little less discipline with these football cards than I normally do with the basketball cards. I usually try to to flip the basketball cards I find on the market, but with football, you know, me being a bigger uh, football fan, I, I I had no self control. I ended up opening a whole bunch of these blaster boxes that I bought, and you can see the carcasses of all the cards that. I was not successful with and in the front of that you will see the Jerry Judy autographed bronze Donruss 2020 card and a Joe Burrow canvas card which I'm pretty pretty happy with with landing those but as you can see 
the return on investment to get a couple cards like that. You have to go through a lot of cards to, uh, to get there, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with those cards. I think I'm going to try and sell the Jerry Judy right now. Why it's, why it's pretty high. And I'm going to hold on to that, that Joe Burrow card. You mentioned that, uh, that discord channel, uh, I don't know if it's discord or Slack, but Brennan's been helping me out. I'm trying to, we're trying to figure out what's a LeBron James card I'm going to buy. And I appreciate that help Brennan. We'll figure it out soon enough. Got to invest in some LeBron, possibly before he uh, most likely wins another title. We'll see. Stay tuned on that. Of course, four teams left in the bubble. Uh, that said, I do want to say like and subscribe. We do appreciate that. Feel free to leave your comments in the comment section. One last time, the uh, promo code for Market Movers we've been talking about, we've been showing off through the entire show, 20% off your first payment, your first subscription at SCI. You use the promo code GRINDERS. That said, for Simon, for Brennan, I was Dean. This was Sports Car Grinders. We're out of here. Holler? Holler? <laughs>